All right, so as you bring up this Constitution, Russell, and these titles of nobility that are all around us, like senator and congressman and, and the honorable, as you mentioned with this bar, the attorney general, um, I came across a quote when I was doing the America's Constitutional Idolatry series, and the quote was, um, I'm going to pull it up here, so give me a little bit of a minute, a minute here to pull it up because I'll have to double time okay. here. But you, basically, you he, go ahead. You pull, it up, you pull it up, and I'm going to read you the definition of nobility and title. Okay? Sure. Gotcha. Nobility is the quality of being excellent or rare from old French nobilite, high rank, dignity. Directly from Latin, nobilitatum. Okay, so so in Texas speak, it's a big dog, okay? Yeah. Now, title, wonder what that means. This is an inscription or heading from old French uh, title, chapter of a book, position. Okay, here's the good one, legal permit. A title of honor. Okay, so you have the big dog that's legally permitted to be bigger than the normal dogs. How else can you read this? We have normal people, but we need to make all. What is it that, that was in the in the book uh, about the in the 1984? Everybody's equal. Just some are more equal than others, right? Right. Okay. Just getting all this clear in my mind. So let's all hear right. the quote that you okay. were going to look I, up. Okay. I do. I do have the quote. Um, <clears throat> good evening, Isaac. Welcome. All right. All right. Um, do, do you hear me? All right. Okay, I do now. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, great. All right, sounds good. Well, here, Russell opened up the door a little bit with titles of nobility out of the Constitution. Again, asking the question, is this Constitution actually real? Or, or you know, it, it, we've been taught to believe this for so long, and there's so much in it that we find is just obviously a farce because it's not kept, it's not, you know, in that constitution, it says no titles of nobility shall be shall be granted, and yet we're doing it all day long and do it, you know, year after year. Senator, Congressman, you know, your honorable, uh, you know, Supreme Court Justice, et cetera. But anyhow, I was telling him that I, when I did that America's Constitutional Idolatry series, I came across a quote that I I failed to record where I actually came across it. And so I, I will only give it, you know, for the, for the sake of the content, and I cannot substantiate it or anything. So um, unfortunately, I failed to write down where I got it, and for the life of me, I can't remember, and I can't seem to, to come across it again. But anyhow, this is what the quote was. It was uh, Cornwallis upon the surrender of George Washington after the War for Independence. And it said, quote, a holy war will now begin in America, and when it is ended, 
America will supposedly be the citadel of freedom, but her millions will be unknowingly loyal subjects to the crown. Your churches will be used to teach the Jews religion, and in less than 200 years, the whole nation will be working for divine world government, end quote. What pops into your head when you hear that quote, either one of you? <laughs> I guess I'm not sure. I mean, well, it, it, I'm guess, it sounds I'm like guess, it's, I, it's happened somewhat. I need to hear you repeat the quote, please. All right, I will repeat the quote. This is supposedly stated from Cornwallis at the surrender to Washington. He says, quote, a holy war will now begin in America, and when it is ended, America will supposedly be the citadel of freedom, but her millions will unknowingly be subjects to the crown. Your churches will be used to teach the Jews religion. And in less than 200 years, the whole nation will be working for divine world government. End quote. But how do we substantiate that? Well, that's well, what I just, said. Let's just assume for the sake of argument that it's true. Well, to me, it means we have always had planners throughout history, I guess. All right. I, I found where that quote's from, by the way. Oh, you did? The Holy World. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Jonathan Williams recorded in his, quote, Legion's work, 1781, that Cornwallis revealed to Washington uh, the quote that you uh, dictated. Okay. Legions by Jonathan Williams. Legions by Jonathan Williams. Okay, I don't yeah. think I was reading that, but it must have been that somebody else had quoted that particular thing because I tried typing it in, Cornwallis quote to Washington, that didn't come up with a hit. So anyhow, okay. All right, so now back to you, Russell, where you said let's suffice it or let's suppose and suffice it that it is true. The first thing that I began to think about is exactly what's going on in America right now. Because what most people aren't talking about, about what actually happened with this whole Russia collusion, you know, Russia gate, whatever you want to call it, the fact of the matter is, is the Brits are neck deep in this thing. And as you said, Russell, as you said, Russell, that leads me to believe then that we have been being, what, what was the word you used? Manipulated. <laughs> Well, manipulated, but you, you used another word, um, not like controlled, but you said managed. That was the word you used, managed. So I want you to think about that for a minute. If indeed we have been being managed by those who, remember, I know I did another series of messages, and in that one series I quoted about out of Zondervan's Pictorial Dictionary, the Bible, there was a quote about the Baals. And it said the Baals, see, most people think of the Baals. They think, oh, they're serving Baal god deities, you know. But it tells us in Zondervan that the Baals were the, the economic powers of the time. 
they were the ones that controlled the economic life force. Well, that's a whole different terminology to us and an understanding of the Baals than for us to just think, oh, well, they worship sticks and stones. And it makes yeah. all of this it makes all of this much more relevant, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And uh, I'm looking up another word. I think we need to get in the habit of looking up definition of words. But uh, if one is a Baal priest, let's see what that means. Uh, uh, comes from the vulgar Latin priest or priest, presper, pres, elder, an alternative theory, makes it a cognate, cognate of old high German priest, prevost, one put over others. That's the definition of a priest. So, oh, a so in other words, so in other words, you said a Baal elder. Yeah, a Baal priest is one that's put over others in charge of the finances. Right? Person placed in charge. Okay, so a Baal priest would have to be a Donald Trump or a head of the Federal Reserve or a head of the Senate or a head of the Congress. So Pelosi has to be a Baal priestess. Well, of a, of a certainty, uh, of a certainty, uh, according to God, a Baal was somebody who did not abide in his will. Yeah, so he would be an elder, a, you know, a Baal priest would be an elder who did not buy, abide in the will of God. So he would be a Baal. Mm-hmm. And in fact, in fact, we also learned from Zondervan that the term Baal simply meant head of household. And in many, in many usages, it may not have been the only usage, but as we know, there are many usages for many different words. So, as you say, if there's a Baal priest, or if if somebody said, uh, well, he, uh, Russell, is the Baal of his household, it would have meant that Russell was the head of the household. You know, so it it had, you know, more than one meaning, but when we go back into the Bible and we begin to use the term and then look at the terms in in the usage, even though throughout the Bible they may have two or three different usages, Generally, the meaning is still somewhat similar. It's just a different usage. It would be, um, for for lack of a better analogy, I mean, we call ourselves Americans, but we are of 50 independent states, supposedly. So uh, Isaac's an Illinoisan. Uh, I'm a Wisconsinite. Russell's a Texan, you know, ostensibly. So they have different meanings for the word American. We're all still American. However, there are different connotations that attach to it. That may not be the best analogy on it, but it's the only thing that popped into my head right now. But um, So when I think about Britain being involved in this Russiagate, and basically what they were doing was they were trying to manipulate uh, things uh, which would have forced this Donald Trump 
um, from you know a position of authority and power. And why wouldn't they want that? For all the various reasons that they do. Because we're managing the economy. We don't want somebody else managing the economy because they're going to screw up what we're trying to do. And so now, if they do that, then we got to regroup and figure out another way to mess up him, but not totally mess up everybody. And just like Mitch McConnell came out this week and told uh, uh, Trump, you cannot close this border down because it will cause economic chaos worldwide. That's, that's preposterous. But in Mitch McConnell's real world, which is we control things, we are the bales in charge of the economic life plus, lifeblood, the pulse of a nation, the pulse of a world, since we are the ones that are the smartest people and since we are the ones that know how to manage this and since we are the ones that know how to do this, we can't have anybody else messing with it because it just messes everything up and it takes us back, it takes us off our game and then we've got to screw around, do this, screw around, do that until we get you know, the, the guy that's not supposed to be there out or we get enough people surrounded around him that we can now control it and control the outcome. And I well, think it's been going on for a long time, but I just oh, yeah. I think I'm seeing more and more examples of how it's it's how it's happened, you know, and we're seeing more signs of how it is happening. Obviously, weren't we told that if Trump was elected, it would be chaotic and all kinds of bad things would happen? Weren't we yeah. told when we were from the Paris Agreement that that was the end of the world. I can't see one little dog hairs difference from now and when we were members of the Paris Accords. What's changed in your life since he supposedly got us out of that? Well, my gas prices have started going back up. <laughs> but that wasn't a result of going out of that, but that is one thing that's changing again in the economy. So isn't isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? And and I do believe well, this happens because See, I just believe that gas price is just a, a hidden tax. It's it's just absolutely. a way to steal money from Absolutely. And so essentially what happens is the states start screaming and saying, look, we need the revenue from this money, from the, the tax that we charge on this. We have a whole lot re less revenue coming in when the price is only $2.30 a gallon, but we have a little more revenue coming in at three thirty, and certainly a lot more revenue at four thirty. And well, so you I know, believe... I, Go ahead. I, I guess the biggest, fattest lie of them all is the pursuit of happiness. Yeah, because how can you pursue happiness if you're over in Afghanistan or in Ethiopia trying to work on their navy? They're completely landlocked. Or in uh, Germany, we got bases all over Germany for what? Or or Japan? Or the only place we don't have bases is in the United States on our border. Explain that to me. Well, it's financial reasons. The purpose of World War One, I, I can read it to you, was to pave the way for World War Two. 
1913. What happened that year, Doug? Something about, was that the Federal Reserve Act passed December 24th, 1913? Yep. Three in the morning. Okay, so now you need some debt money, don't you? Yep. So, so you start a war. When was World War One started uh, for America? Three years after that act? You correct me yes. if I'm wrong. Yeah, I think it was 1918. Does that sound right? Well, it was 16 or 17. Okay, 16 or 17, yeah. So, so we So we get involved in this war. For what reason? To save our brethren, the British? I don't have any love for the British, necessarily. Isn't that their problem? Uh, Jeremiah, okay. corrected the facts. Jeremiah corrected the facts and says World War I began in 1914. It, it did begin in 14, but America's involvement, Oh. I think, two years later. You see, they had to con us peace lovers into sending our children over there to get gassed in in these uh, little bitty trenches. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, there's rules for our army in the Constitution of how it is to be used. It was never intended to be scattered all over the world. And these Pigs, these fecal-mattered pigs in Washington that keep advocating, oh, you can't get out of Syria. The whole thing will go into chaos. They've got these, uh, they've got these emergency words down, don't they, Doug? Their script. Yeah. Uh, we got, we got to fight them over there. We'll be fighting them over here. What a weak and pathetic argument. Well, it's actually a pretty good segue into what Isaac has proposed for the fellowship subject of this uh, uh, perception of a uh, a social uh, type. Uh, what do you refer to it as, Isaac? Uh I don't remember. I'm, I'm not sure specifically. Uh, communal. What your communal. I guess it was communal. Sure. Or, yeah. Yeah. Like and the important, the important thing, I suppose, is that it is uh, voluntary, right? Like it's a group of Christian brothers who were given some instructions uh, by the apostles, I think. Um, that, that they could do this, or they maybe should do this, and uh, so it's not—it's not something, as far as I understand, that was forced on people. I think there are well, examples of it. Uh, let's get into it. We'll just open with some prayer, and then you go right to your scripture list and yeah, open it up with that, and then we'll see where we can uh, dig in and unpack them. So. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the opportunity at fellowship where two or more gathered in your name. We thank you for the promise that you said that you will be there amongst us. And Father, there are more than two gathered here. And Father, we also know and thank you for the abundance of individuals that have been listening to these fellowship broadcasts. Uh, 
it is worldwide, obviously, and we just thank you for the opportunity to keep feeding and to keep sharing and just having a conversation about these things. And we just thank you for that opportunity. We pray, Father, that those things that we speak about will be things that will be uh, edifying to the body of Christ, those uh, of yours that are out there that are seeking truth and to ground themselves upon your word. So, Father, we do thank you for that. We're going to open the door here tonight and say, Father, come in, dwell with us, be with us, guide and direct those things that we would say, the things that we would think, and that which we would dwell upon, upon your word, so that we would find the full understanding and meaning in everything that you speak and everything that you have recorded for us. So we thank you for this time and opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. All right. Well, I, I, I sent that scripture list on to some of those on the email list. And uh, Russell's, I don't know, he, he may have wound. Did you get the scripture list or did that go in the rat hole also, Russell? No, I, I think I got it. Uh, well, it, it isn't necessary. It's just the list. I just sent it out so everybody have a little chance to kind of maybe review them, but Isaac will go through them here, and well, what do you think, Isaac, you want to go through each of them just one at a time and, and go there, or do you want to, you know, kind of lay the case out uh, using all of them and the general notes that you had, and then go from there? I'll kind of open the door for you. Um, well, you have, just, just to be sure, you have the list there with you. If if I need to go yep. mute for all right, so I have on on the subject of selling possessions uh, for the purposes of communal living. Oh, here goes baby. <laughs> uh, I have one, two, three, four, five five pieces of scripture. Um, so first one is Matthew nineteen twenty nine, and I need to navigate to that. So all right, I need a minute I'll to get there. That's all right. I'll open up the sword myself and uh, get to that as well. And if you need to, I can read something so you can tend to Evelyn there. Uh, but um, she has just handed off, so I think we're okay for oh, now. This, so, um, yeah. All right. Daddy's got three hands. All right, Matthew 19:29, right? Yep. Well, if you want to go ahead and take that one, I'll get the next one lined up. All right, well, Matthew 19:29, it says, Everyone that has forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. That was verse 30 also, the, the last phrase. Now, you had given a note on that one indicating that the, the word forsaken, um, let's see, what did you say? Forsaken. Well, I think the, the big question to me is, what what does forsaken mean in this context? Is it the correct translation? Uh, because I think that is what will determine whether that scripture 
is supporting the argument for communal, voluntary communal living, or if it is just something separate. All right. And this is what I did. I looked up Forsaken, uh, since you had drawn attention to that. Number 3614 in Strong's, uh, O-I-K-I-A, Oikia. And um, it simply means a condition of lack of. Um, and, of course, um, the context of this scripture is in Matthew 23 and 4. And, of course, the conclusion of that is in 25, 28, and 30. So um, we would have to put this in the context. So let's go to 1923. And this is what it says. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I said this is the context, but um, the context begins deeper than that and, and, and earlier than that. And it has to go back to Matthew 19, uh, 16. Behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? He said unto him, Why callest thou me good? For there is none good but one, and that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Okay, we can stop right there. And we can say, What was this young man told about entering into life? Keep the commandments. He said unto him, Which? So the question from the young man is, Well, which? What is the commandments? Which commandments is it that I shall keep that shall uh, allow me to enter into life? And he says, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, that thou shalt uh, love thy neighbor as thyself. So right here, he's given him the law. And the young man says to him, all these things I've kept from my, my youth, what lack I yet? Let's look at those things. Most of us have done no murder. A good number could also say they have not committed adultery, which is race mixing or adulteration of the marriage bed or adulteration of the, of the seed. Thou shalt not steal probably very difficult for many uh, to say that they have not committed that. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Again, a certain number would fall into that as well. Honor your father and mother, even that right there. A good many people would have to conclude they've slipped or fell short. Loving your neighbor as yourself, even those things. So to have this young man say to Christ here at this time, all of these things that I have done and kept from my youth, what lack I yet? This was a very solid individual, uh, at least in terms of what is being expressed here by the individual. Christ certainly did not seem to convey any contrary opinion to that. But sometimes what we've got to remember is what's not said is as important 
as what is said. He says then, after he says this to the young man at 1921 of Matthew, after he says, well, what lack I yet? Jesus said unto him that thou wilt be perfect. Go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So, as I said, the context is in 23 and 4, but what happened in 22 was the young man heard that saying, and he went away sorrowful. Why did he go away sorrowful? I have the answer to that. Go ahead, Russell. Well, we were throwing over in 28... 29, I think we were using the word rich, weren't we? Um, R-I-C-H. Well, it's up in 22 and 3. Yes, we're using rich in 23 and 4. Okay. Uh, That word, I don't care how you slice it, but you have to quit saying these these words that they've already defined for us in our minds. But, right. but the word means power, okay? That's what the word means. <clears throat> One who is able to direct people's paths, okay? So, Jesus simply asked the man, the kid, are you going to put me first? For your power first. That's what upset him because he, people like their power, especially the ones that have a lot of it. It's hard to give up. That's what and, let's, and let's not forget, it, he said, it says that he had great possessions. That's power. So, Along with his possessions, he possessed great power. Mm-hmm. That's why you have possessions. Exactly. You have power. And along and, with uh, power, along with power, there is a right way to use that power, is it not? Absolutely. Yes, it's a, it's a, it's a power with with rules that go with it. In other words, if you subject yourself to your holy creator, he says, have, you know, have your possessions. But you will operate within the constraints of my constitution. And we might as well start saying that. God has a constitution. Amen. It's it's for real. Yeah, it's in verse 17 of chapter 19. Why call me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But as thou wilt enter in the light, keep my constitution. Exactly. Abide in my constitution. He's also the supreme justice on the constitution as well. So you can and there's another, there's another thing that, that develops by unpacking the scripture too is that If he had been instructed 
which he was, to sell those possessions, or rather to give those possessions to the poor and follow him, what do you suppose happened to this young man when he heard that, Isaac? Or what, what sin, what sin do you think Christ was able to immediately see? When you look at 17... Uh, vanity, probably vanity. Uh, well, let's go back to 17. Let's go to the simplicity of the commandment. What commandment would you say that he might be... Um, oh, subject- let's say he's, he's, not, he's not loving... Uh, it, he's a cover Loving his neighbor. Yeah, he covets. And Russell said covet. And that is the, that's a very key one because if one covets those and cannot give those up to walk in the statutes and the commandments, then what would that individual be good for? (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) He's He's a problem. Yeah, he's not much good for the kingdom of Christ, and that's what he's saying. You know, you're you're not. Uh, you know, we we drop down to twenty three. He says he goes away sorrowful in twenty two. Apparently, I say unto you that a powerful man, a rich man, a man of possessions and power, shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he says again. Again, I'll say it to you. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of an evil than for a powerful rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Didn't he just show us exactly that? Here was a powerful man, a rich man, and he could not receive the love of the words and the truth in those words that says, give those things up to the possessions, uh, to the poor. And you will receive a hundredfold. Right. So the key word here is humility. This guy would not humble himself. That's plain and simple to me. He he couldn't. He's drunk with power. And money is power. Good evening, Rich. What say you? Good evening, gentlemen. Late night getting on. Well, did you catch we were in 19 of uh, Matthew? Oh, in 1917? No, we're in, ni- yeah, 19, yeah, 19, we read from 17 to, to 29, basically, in stages. So we thought we'd see what, what you wanted to add to it. I don't know. You guys are doing a pretty good job, actually. Yeah, we are. (laughs) No. So, Isaac, you know, when you think about this, and and then, you know, even, even if, let's say that we come back to this and say, okay, we've laid out some understanding of the Scripture, and we fairly well perhaps have unpacked it. Um. Can we still learn from the general principle that 
we should give up things. Absolutely. But in the context of the scripture here, that is not exactly what Christ was trying to show and to teach. So pastor used to always tell us that there's primary meanings and secondary meanings oftentimes. And there may even be a more, more meanings than that. Uh, certainly as it pertains to parables, they can have you know, primary meanings, secondary meanings, and they can have other meanings beside, national uh, in, uh, implications and, and other things. So, um, so we can always look at it and say, okay, what all can we glean from this? We can glean from this that if we are so proud of our possessions, our power, and our position and such, that we would not even, you know, I, 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 here's a good analogy. What did we hear like a few years back? I think it was a, uh, one of the Democratic candidates like a Kerry or uh, Gore or something. He had given, you know, like $1,000 or, you know, some, some like that. And the other candidate had, uh, in this case, I think it was a Republican candidate. And by contrast, they had shown how the Republican candidate you know, had given, you know, 10 times that on a regular basis, you know. And it just kind of goes to the whole thing that we're seeing here in, in, in one of the primary teachings here, that when, when you have power or you have abundance of riches and wealth, that you give in like measure. And that's one principle here that Christ was taught. But this individual really was pained at the very thought of giving them up, even if he had given up 90% of what he had given. Would he not be the richer more still because of what Christ was able to see that his heart really did desire him? You know? I have a, I have a question for Isaiah. All right. In verse 30, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. My question to you, Jeremiah, is number one, first at what, and last at what? And number two, what are the characteristics of the people that finish first, and the characteristics of the people that finish last? And now I'm ready to listen. <laughs> uh, I guess I'd say first in the kingdom of heaven, and uh, the individuals are are humble and uh, God God seeking and God defending, righteous. My answer. Well, so they're going to be the first at the door. But many who are first will be last. So these first in the world will be last in in heaven. Okay. Now, now we're opening up a whole new can of worms because that makes kind of sense, doesn't it? Yep. So the ones that put all their eggs in one basket, which is is being first they're going to miss the mark remember that song Doug he missed him out 
You remember that story that guy used to tell about that song? Uh, no, I Jim. Jim, the singing cowboy. Oh, Rich. Jim Lynch. Okay, go ahead, Rich. No, go, go ahead. That was just just saying that was Jim's song. You missed it out. Yeah, it's talking about people that that put so much emphasis on being first, they missed the boat. So, to me, that's kind of what this is. This scripture is about, and the one that kind of, the one that that was concerned with the world the least was more concerned with heavenly matters. He turned out to be first at the thing that really mattered in, in the whole scope of things. You know, and I think your intention of bringing up 30 is important because it is something that I was going to also bring to everybody's attention as well. If you failed to read 30, you might as well have missed the whole scripture because, and the whole validity of the context because what he says about first and last and so forth has to do with the very next thought process. And so what Christ was doing here is he segued right from the one thought process right into the next process, which is similar in nature in terms of the context. So in other words, it's, 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 it's a carrying forward of the thought, only using a different analogy or example. And so that's exactly what he does in 20. He goes right into the parable of the hired laborers. Kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that's a householder. What's the kingdom of heaven like? A person who's a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. What did he do? He hired people. He was an employer. When he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into the vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. He said unto them, Go also into my vineyard, and whatsoever is right, I'll give you. And they went their way. And again, he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did night nice. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said unto them, Why stand you here all the day idle? They said unto him, Because no man has hired us. He said unto them, Well, go also into the vineyard. Whatsoever is right, that shall you receive. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard said to the steward, Call the laborers, give them their hire. This is the, par- this is the one economic principle that Christ taught. The laborer is worthy of his hire. And we'll continue. So he says, give them their hire, beginning from the last to the first. And when they came that were hired, about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. When they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. 
Did you not agree with me for a penny? Take that which is thine, and go thy way. I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my own? Is thine eye evil, because I am good? So the last shall be first, and the first last. For many be called, but few chosen. Now right away, I want to clarify something. As I said, primary teachings, secondary teachings, even a spiritual teaching. I have no problem with anybody who takes this on the spiritual sense and says it's a spiritual sense, spiritual teaching about spiritual things and heavenly things. Absolutely it is. I want to point out the fact that Christ uses the analogy of everyday life in order to teach you the spiritual thing. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Something we can relate to. Exactly. Something that we can relate to. So does that mean that he's oblivious to the world or to the day-to-day grind and activities? Absolutely not. It's like we first started out when we were thinking about addressing this topic, Isaac. You know, you, you look back and you think of all the things uh, Uh, the violations of God's commands, statutes, and judgments, his laws, his divine immutable laws that are not being followed, just just take those five, you know, that we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, you know, and it turns everything economically right upside down on its head, and it actually opens the door to abundance of life, abundance of riches, and something that you had said, Russell, about the thing in the Constitution life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, how can you pursue happiness? Christ said, take my yoke, for my yoke is light. And would to God that we could take his yoke and abide in his yoke instead of the yoke that this world and these Baal priests that we spoke of earlier in the Congress and the Senate, these elders of Israel ruling over the people, sending them into economic destruction, while all the while, all the while portraying to them that they're doing a good deed. It's just a marvel, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So there is both spiritual here. Go ahead, Rich. I'm sorry. I just said they outright steal the inheritance of our children and grandchildren. The very commandment that we were instructed to do, which is to leave to the children's children an inheritance. Pretty much another. Say again. When you're trillion, that many trillions in debt. I think I heard the other night that uh, that the uh, Iraq war cost each family sixteen thousand dollars. Yeah, I think I recall a number similar to that, right? But was that a family or to each individual? 
I think it was, I think it said a family of four. Each family of four is $16,000. Well, it's not too bad. Then we can start a couple more wars next to that one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, Isaac, we'll go right out and get busy on that. (laughs) I'm ready for phase two, Isaac. (laughs) (laughs) Phase phase two. Hmm. You said you had four categories. Yep. Yeah, four or five. All right. Well, I suppose, like, for my interpretation of, or my my own inclusion based on what we were just saying. And I have one. I have our, one our, also. So I have one also. So okay. I will add one after you. Go ahead. Okay. All right. So, well, I would I would say that based on what we were just talking about, it would be possible, but unlikely that a person could be could have many possessions and enter the kingdom, right? But, but possible. So, and based on the idea that, that there's got to be somebody to employ all of these other people, then obviously everybody is not giving away their possessions. So one example of this might be that there's, if you have the means and you see that there's a town that is suffering, right? Like there's, they don't have enough food or whatever, and they don't have enough work in a particular area. And you have the means to start up some enterprise. And you start it, and then you employ these people, and you do it because you see the suffering, you see the need. Uh, that would be maybe a, a righteous use of your resources to help people. Um, if you were to just give what you have away to to the people, then it's not then it's not going to propagate, right? You're not going to get more. You're just going to use up everything that you have. So the people need to work in order to earn, and you can create the opportunity for that. So I would say that's a good use of of, of resources or of extra resources, and then a uh, a negative way of using those kinds of resources might be to say, well, I want to collect more things. I want to have more things, so I'm going to uh, use these people who need what I have uh, so that I can get more from them or extract more from the system for myself, right? Yeah. Um, but I think that's, I, I think that what we're reading can be kind of, uh, or the conflict that I, I don't want to say that. I, 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 think, I think that the scripture, Matthew 19, 29, and, uh, makes sense uh, with both of those examples. Sure. Well, you did, you did notice that he talked about brothers and sisters, mothers and children. Yes. Yeah, those definitely. And kindred people. Right. Yeah, and I think that most most of the, or, or if not all of the scriptures that I have listed out here that we'll go through are talking about uh, brothers. And I think that's probably pretty important. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, there's something else that's very important about that right there, and this is not my including one, but since it's been brought up, Everyone, and once again, what is this in relation to? Why is he saying this? 
that you which have, he says, Verily I say unto you, that you which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Every one that has forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. There's a very, very fundamental thing that's being conveyed here is he's talking about those disciples. He's talking about those that really are making that sacrifice at that time to do what he needs them to do. And he's telling them, I'm going to sit you on 12 thrones, judging the house of Israel. So we've got some things that we have to look at about what it is that we also are to be about doing. And as Christ gave them the commission to go about their father's business, to, to baptize them, I mean, this is, this is another thing. So much plays into all of this subject. I, I, I find myself just getting, you know, you know, profoundly, you know, caught up in all the various things. Look at Matthew chapter 28, that great commission. He says, uh, Verse 18, Jesus spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go you therefore and teach all nations. That word teach means something. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. What do you think God, what do you think Christ would have done with this young man who would have given those things to the poor and followed him? What do you think he would have done with this man? Do you think he would have taught him these things that he wanted them? Well, well I, th- I think back. J.D., I'm going to have to mute you down there, okay? Uh, a lot of background noise when you come in. So that's that's very important there. Uh, um, uh, Let's interject you know, this one more. All right, go. God is the same today, same yesterday, and in the future in terms of the way he judges righteousness, correct or not? Yes. Okay, so we have history where there was a group of people, and God told this his group of people, occupy the land and wipe them out. Now, that's a fact, isn't it? Yes. Even calling, own, them, even calling them sinners. By his own order, he said, men, women, and chi- children. Remove them. Utterly destroy them. Now, why? Why would he give them this order and the answer has to be for their own good and if they disobey that commandment it's gonna it's gonna plague them for the rest of their life isn't it 
and it did. Yeah, he wants he wants to bring order into the creation, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know whether it was for their own good as much as it was for the Israelites' own good. He was concerned about his children when he decided he wanted to get the other crowd destroyed because they did the uh, same practices that we're doing today with the child sacrifice and, uh, you know, just to Moloch and Baal. So there was an abomination in his sight. And I think that was the main reason why they had to wipe them out because they wouldn't stop continuing that practice. And just like it, they it, do, it, they Yeah, but it's, I don't think, um, I mean, it's the practice, yes, but that's not the reason. It's because of who they were, who they were. They were of their father, the devil, and had the lust of their father, which is this steal, kill, and destroy, you know, steal, kill, and destroy. I think it's all about the the identity of who they were. It's not about what they were doing. I mean, it it is, but they do what they do because of who they are. I know Doug kind of doesn't agree with that, but that's what I think just based on what I've learned. All right, J.D., now let me start with this, all right? Don't you put words in my mouth. Don't you speak for me. Okay. All right. I will will speak for myself. Now, I'm getting feedback on your line again, so if you can stop that feedback, if not, I'm going to put you on mute because the feedback bothers everybody on the call. Is right, it gone? So, yeah, uh, it, uh, there's still a, an echo, but that sounds better, so I think maybe you've got it corrected now. All right, now, one thing I want to say with regards to this is if we're going to come in and we're going to have this conversation, and every time the conversation is going to turn upon um, words and, and usages in the scripture pertaining to sons of the devil or other terms, and we're going to immediately ascribe to those terms something such as, children of the devil, um, things that you're going to use as, um, as tools in which to try to convey something which is not actually verifiable and provable from the scriptural record itself, then we don't get very far. So when you want to take that topic up, and that subject up, and you want to assist others in understanding what it is that you believe needs to be understood, then we'll bring that up on a topic. So we should try to use the time wisely to continue to try to progress with things that we're dealing with in the subject at hand. When we take that subject on, then we can deal with particulars pertaining to that subject in and of itself. And I have some ideas and understandings that have formulated from a number of hours that I have spent trying to study the very subject. And 
I'm happy to share those findings. And I'm happy to share what I have come to the conclusions about those findings. And if those findings happen to be contrary to others, I am not going to let that be a stumbling block for somebody. I'm going to keep searching, keep digging, keep trying to understand whatever is necessary to be understood so that I can be fully confident in my mind to be able to express and share those things with others as to what the biblical context conveys. So that's all that really needs to be said regarding, you know, uh, I, I'm, you know, whether I agree with somebody on something or don't agree with somebody on something. Um, uh, when we want to go head-to-head on the argument and carry that out, this is what we do here. This is what we're trying to do is we're trying to edify everybody by digging into the Scripture on certain things that we've come across from time to time that is tripped us up, that has kept us questioning, that is not clear, or that we have firmly grasped, you know, the best concept we can of what's, you know, been before us in the scripture. Clearly, there are a lot of doctrines that we have had over the millennials and indeed over the centuries in in, in our immediate lifetimes of our own family trees that have been false doctrine. And we've now come to an understanding that those doctrines were indeed false. So now my parting conclusion on this particular primary teaching, and another thing, gentlemen, we start this fellowship at 7.30. We don't start it at 8.30. We start it at 7.30 so that we have enough time to try to get into something and open it up and try to get something done. So it's, I understand maybe not everybody can get in at the same time. And that happens. But don't expect to come in in the middle of something and then all of a sudden get ready to change the topic. You've got to get up to speed on what's being discussed and we will do that by conveying the scriptures we're talking about. Periodically, I will take time to say a few words about where we're at, what led us to the point we're at at that point, and try to carry the conversation and the topic continuing forward. So I do that for you, and what I would like everybody to do is just to recognize and understand that that is what I'm trying to do here. And let's stay on point and get some topics done. Isaac has laid out something here about the things that we read about in scriptures that seem to convey a communal type message or a, or a social uh, socialism, for lack of a better term, a communal type atmosphere amongst the early Christians. And he'd like to address some of those things that he sees people using certain scriptures in which to try to convey or seemingly convey certain expressions or certain thoughts that are being conveyed in those scriptures. And so what we did was we began with one of those scriptures at Matthew chapter 19. Isaac has brought forth a half a dozen scripture notes. I believe, J.D., you did get those as well. I think I sent that email on to you as well. 
and we're at Matthew 19:29, which is the first scripture that he gave us. So we're already one hour and ten minutes into the fellowship, and we've got to the first scripture. And now everybody can say, well, Doug, if you'd shut up, we'd already be a lot further. So let me say this. My primary, my conclusion on that particular scripture, as Isaac summed up his thoughts on it, yeah, I don't want to leave that scripture before we talk about this. This man was needing to understand a truth that you are not saved by riches. Remember, he wanted to know how he was going to achieve something, right? So salvation is not by the power of that rich man, the benefits that he had, and what he knew that money could buy. All of that was of no value to him as it pertained to salvation from sin. Salvation wasn't lost to the young man, but it would require greater sacrifice than just a few possessions or a little wealth. And this is what Christ is conveying very much similarly to giving up and forsaking houses and family and lands, people that those people that are close to you, that love you, and for the sake of Christ, you follow him and you say, I will not back away from this. I will teach this truth to the people that come across my path, whether they like it or not, and I will tell them the things which, you know, have befallen us as a people and why we need to get ourselves right with God. So that would be my, you know, my concluding thought, again, on a spiritual aspect of that particular scripture. We've discussed the economics. Isaac, why don't you go ahead and bring us into Luke 12, 33 then, and your thoughts on that. Yeah, sure. Um, see, I'm going to start at... Uh, 1228, because uh, there's a little bit more context there. If then God so clothed the grass, which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather, seek ye of the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then Luke 12:33 is, Sell that ye have, and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will also your heart be. So that's a, another example in the scripture where uh, people are being being instructed that they should sell what they have. And I mean, this says buy a bag that's going to last forever and seems to be saying just become a vagabond, you know. So, and, then, and then, of course, 1228 was the, the, some context for it. All right. Uh, Rich, you want to start? Uh, go ahead. All right. Well, basically, I think the interesting part about this scripture, and I, I was glad that you actually had selected it, because it has to do with the very same thing that we're talking about in Matthew. And if you go to the context here, once again, of this particular scripture, 
it begins back at chapter um, uh, 12, 13, Luke. Getting a little feedback again, JD. I'm not sure exactly what happens over there on your end, if it's the way the phone is sitting or something, it's bouncing off, but it's not too bad, just letting you know. And one of the companies said unto him, Master, I'm in 12, 13 of Luke, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. He said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? I want you to think about that right there. Christ says to this party, Who made me a judge or a divider over you? He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. And he spake a parable unto him. So what did he do here? He did the same thing. He spoke to them about covetousness. And what was the next thing that he did? He flowed right into a parable, an analogy to bring the real-world situation forward. All right. Uh, So this is what he says then. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. He said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns, and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much good laid up for many, many years. Take, ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that lays up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. Once again, he's teaching about the sin of covetousness. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thy neighbor's ass, or anything that is thy neighbor's, nor should one lord over one of your brethren and not give what is necessary to give that is needful of that brother. Then he goes into this series of scriptures leading up then to um, 1233. And all of this is, has a spiritual teaching. It is, is given to us through an economic teaching. Um, and once again, what does he want? What, did, what would he have, he have wanted of this? If God owns the earth and everything in it, and everything, therefore, that we then get, we get because of him. And so because of him, we are to cheerfully give, and I think that's one of the things that you said, is that you likened many of these things to be not actually forceful, but willful. And I think that's a key ingredient, isn't it? You know, I, I think, think the that. common thread throughout most of this is the love of money. Because, um, you know, you look at the rich, riches of Abraham and, the, uh, and Jacob 
and they had, you know, multitudes of flocks, much more than a normal person. Right. And they were both very rich, and you don't find them, you know, they're building Israel with the riches from God. It wasn't like a love of money. It was um, using God's resources to the full extent to, uh, you know, build up the, uh, the seed of Israel. So I think uh, most of the parables are pointing toward um, the love of money where the goal of everything is riches and more riches and more riches rather than using the the goodness that God gives you to build up his kingdom here on earth. Amen. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, Doug, did you have a chance to... Look up the word possessions in in a uh, one of the Greek translations books. I, I did not take the time to look it up. Go for it. Well, I haven't either. That's why I'm curious. Oh. I have looked it. I have <laughs> looked it up and and uh, where the, what the word means. And possessions uh, means belongings. And belonging means to go along with, properly relate to, which I, I can't I can't really wrap my head around this definition. But uh, the sense here of long is be the property of. So, or to be a member of, well, that's 14th century. So, is it saying, indicating that that is the only meaning of that word at that time? Well, it's telling you where we get this word belong. And when you look up the word possessions, it gives you the word to belong, uh, belonging. Okay. And you said 14th century, right? Yeah, and I just wondered, is there something here in the Greek that we need to know from Strong's? Because it sounds like there is because this is a very very important statement and we need to know what he's telling us to do and so our immediate thought is to sell everything we have isn't it I mean, isn't that what the knee-jerk reaction is when you read something like this and you stand up in front of a bunch of people and you need money to pay on your bond for your church sell your boats your lake houses we need money Right. That seems to be, so, yeah, face value. It seems to be something like that. Yeah, I just wondered if Doug's usually on top of the stuff he's dropping off. <laughs> well, yeah, no, and, and you, raise a, yeah, you raise a good point because um, I haven't, and that, again, is once again some of the things that we keep trying to, to remind each other here is that, uh, you know, without knowing the meaning of these words as translated, you know, it's interesting that you brought that up, too, because I was just reading something about how when the King James translation came into existence, the king's instruction was that they weren't supposed to change this, they weren't supposed to do that, no word usage, you know, and it sounds good in theory, but also, some of the things that he did not want changed were things that absolutely should have been changed. 
Now, I say this to you, and one might say, well, okay, Doug, tell us which ones. No, I'm not ready for that study yet, I guess. But I'm just saying that it reminded me of how much that we have is translated because of things, number one, that were given as instruction to do or not to do, which also means that we have words in those scriptures that are words that ought not probably be there at all. That being said, I think that God has seen fit, obviously, to give us what he's given us as being sufficient, and, uh, in, and for the most part, I think we get that. So there may be some things that we can learn and that we can, you know, we can pull out and, and by looking up a word possession get a better sense. But I think clearly the teaching here is obviously covetousness. There's just no doubt about it. The, the sense of it, the, the um, primary text of the context tells us. And again, giving up the worldly treasure to secure a heavenly treasure, seeking first his will, and all the rest is added unto us. And that's the primary teaching of God from the beginning of the book. When he said, don't, don't partake of the tree, that was to allow us a heavenly treasure. It was to allow us to the access to remain grounded to, to Yahweh himself. And once we severed that ability to, oh, it doesn't, why not? Once he severed the ability to ground that, um, we, uh, you know, we came in, in violation and sin. And so once again, he's trying to teach through the economic principle that, you know, riches and wealth and so forth have a greater uh, obligation attached to them. Um, and if you covet those things and don't do with those things that will benefit, as Isaac pointed out, there is a, clearly a teaching that can be gleaned there that says if you have something, use it. Use it for benefiting others. If you can see that you can go into a community and you can build and do things which will provide work for the people and labor, because we are instructed to labor, then absolutely you are doing a work and using your stewards, your, your, your talents and the gifts of God wisely. And I think as we continue on in this, we're going to see that more and more. and We're going to come to those conclusions because of the totality of the scriptures, as I say, whether metaphors, prophecies, um, visions, whatever we have in the biblical record, we always have to remember that we can't make the mistake of taking it outside of the context. And so much of the church world has taken scriptures like these and wanted to pull them completely outside of the context and the confines, if you will, of the totality of the scriptures and leave us hanging here with something that sounds really good. It's filled with platitude and it does very little to fill our soul. And well, that's, that's the error. Go ahead. You know, another way to look at this scripture, 33, is maybe there was a principle back then to look down on the poor as if they were sinners. Uh, so, in essence, 
maybe the common thought was to have nothing to do with these losers. Well, hey, I like that thought. Think about this. We sit here in America, and we work our tails off. Every one uh-huh. of us on this, on this fellowship I know is a worker. I've heard you while you are working. And um, so that being said, don't we have somewhat of a disdain for those who do not? And the answer yeah. is we absolutely do. And because there's a command in the scriptures that you shall work for six days. But that has nothing to do with those who are indigent. It has nothing to do with the widow. It has nothing to do with those who are truly unable and can't and need our assistance. And those are the people that we truly want to help. Those are the people we yeah. truly, truly want to do things for. And that is where our heart is set in righteousness to do those things. But because yeah, nobody of, ever takes that out of context. <laughs> absolutely. That's a very good point. What if Go. the scriptures insinuating get rid of this idea that, that all this belongs to you and start caring about some of these other people that aren't so fortunate or in other words maybe because the word sell means you know get rid of change or maybe he's talking about the condition because remember when we read earlier that People were saying that the people with uh, defects, they went to Jesus and said, who sinned, the mother or the father? And Jesus said, neither one of them. So I'm just, I'm just wondering if there's, there's one way to look at this scripture, which is the way the commies always look at it, is give away everything you got and start at ground zero if you really care. Absolutely. Now, I will tell you. I I want to tell you that what you said there, Russell, is I actually have done some research, and I'm looking forward to getting into it in the next couple of weeks because it truly is exactly what they have done with it. And this is the same thing that we always find is that well, God's laws just don't work. They're not even functional and applicable today. They're just, you know, that's what they want people to believe. And so they apply them unscripturally. They apply them inordinately. And all of the various other ways in which they do it to self-serve the defeat of it and then turn around and say, yeah, those wacky Christians, they don't know anything and that's well, exactly that what, the, that what the serpent did to Eve exactly that's what I'm saying the totality of it always is is it leads the people where away from God and that's the objective yeah the serpent quoted scripture didn't he absolutely he just kind of <laughs> changed it around a word or two yep then he told a big whopper and set the the snare, and Eve stepped right in it, and apparently she set it for Adam. Amen. Well, gentlemen, I know that it is 9 o'clock, and I know we got a little bit of a late start. Um, uh, I, I, we did pretty, Russell was right I, on time. 
And uh, <laughs> I'd like to say so, a parting word to JD. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I'll be, I'll be really brief. Are you still there, JD? Um, there you go, JD's unmuted. Oh, hit it again, JD. Sorry, I hit you and then you hit yourself. Well, uh, I just want to know if you're listening, JD. I'm coming to your defense for here for a minute. And I'm going to say this, and I want you to listen very carefully. If a father is a slanderer, and he's raising children, and the children learn the art of slandering from the father, they do, they, they do become the children of the slanderer, don't they? Yes. And so, although I know what you were saying... You, it's the point is the fathers teach the children, and there can be children of slanders. But where where you and I disagree is is I don't believe there's a deity called Satan that's as powerful as God, and the two fight it out daily. I don't I don't see any scripture to support that whatsoever. All right, now that's another topic. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, another yeah. yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I mean, I understand what you're saying. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I never said, you know, anything like, you know, Satan was as powerful as God kind of a thing. It's, um, you know, it's Lucifer, right, was one of the greatest, you know, angels. And he, he, he fell away. He rebelled against God. A third of the angels went with him. Right? Another, and so, another, yeah. I mean, there, I just I just read the scriptures the way it's written, and where Jesus said in John, you know, if you were of Abraham, you would do as Abraham does, but you are of your father, the devil, and have the uh, love of your father. J.D., I would disagree with you that you're reading the scripture and just reading what it says. I, uh-huh. I, I now have had you on I had the fellowship uh, opportunity many, many times, and you and I have spoken at great length um, far into the evening hours on on this topic. And yes. um, there are preconceived notions, beliefs, and ideas, and a lot of things that people say, they're just reading, reading. Um, that's not um, true. That's not true. It's, preconceived it's preconceived notions and ideas that are being repeated and repeated and repeated. Now, now, let me do let some me things. Do um, you have got to do something with your phone. Mute the phone when we're not when you're not talking, so that it doesn't bang off. Go ahead and mute, mute yourself. Otherwise, I'm going to have to. So I'm okay if you mute yourself. All right, there. That took it all away. I don't know what it is, JD, but we got to figure it out on your end because it's very distracting to the to the call. But anyhow, um, so if we're going to take a topic on, we we started out back in I don't know two three years ago, and we took those two messages which you I think were told about. One was done by Sheldon Emery, and one was done by Pastor Peter Peters. And um, we just simply had a conversation. 
about those two um, uh, those two pastors who were very prolific in their day and very insightful and very instructive for for all of us. And we took those two and we began to have a discussion about it. That's what we did. And um, the verdict is not finalized. The verdict is that we've come to certain understandings based on things that has not been taught to us in the past about certain things, including definitions of words. And so to, to come to a fellowship and every time want to couch it in some particular you know, um, flavor, I guess, is just not, it's just not necessary. It's, it's not necessary at all. When we want to revisit that subject, let's revisit it. And I say kick that crap out of that topic until we are convinced upside down, backwards, inside out, and everything else, and there is no way for us to turn because we have so exhausted it that we can. But I think many people tire of the subject after a while because it is exhausting because there has been so many divergent views and so much misinformation and so much Kabbalistic lore attached to so much of it that we've really got to shake off a lot of baggage in order to even fully successfully try to attack the the subject. So you're welcome to get that stuff ready, and at some point in time, you want to bring that topic up, and we're going to open the door back up to visit that topic, is Satan and the devil, then that's fine. But in the meantime, let's not use it as a, a bludgeoning tool uh, when you come to a fellowship to say, well, I know this person doesn't agree with this or doesn't agree with that. You have no idea. I have wasted no bones about saying to people, these are the studies that I have done. I raised to you more than a dozen scriptures that you scratched your head and said you raised some good points. And then you come back to me three, four months later and you start pounding with the same old worn out, tried and true you know, pieces of garbage just to, you know, wedge a subject in there. And I'm not going to have it. You can do that anywhere you want, but we're not going to do it here. I want to learn. I want to learn from these brethren with me. Whatever I can teach, I want to teach. And I want to fellowship with people of like mind. And that's my primary objective is to be one with Christ. I thought I was with a ministry that wanted that also. And the more I wanted to be one with Christ and the more I wanted to be spiritual, I found out that supposedly they were more spiritual, but they couldn't even follow the basic rudiments of Matthew 18 or Corinthians or Timothy or, you know, any of the rest of them that they wanted to throw out. So I'm ready to keep learning and I'm ready to keep striving for the mark and working out my salvation daily. And that's all I'll say, and I'll close with prayer because I'm going to shut down here tonight as well because I have to. I've got a major storm coming in, and I've got to get some things taken care of, and I need to look at some weather reports here real quick. So, gentlemen, I'm going to sign off with a prayer, and anybody wants to follow with a prayer, 
go ahead on. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the wonderful opportunity as we started out that you gave us that promise and said, we're two or more gathered in your name, you're there in our midst. Father, we look forward to bringing on more of this subject in the next upcoming uh, fellowship weeks, Father, to be able to get into your word and dig into these things and see if you are a God that desires that we uh, we only follow what is social, uh, uh, so the social gospel, if you will, that has been perpetrated upon your people and through the churches throughout the land. So, Father, we pray for your continued blessing and guidance as we look forward to these weeks and these opportunities to fellowship. I thank you for the opportunity and the blessed holy name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 Good. Amen. Good night, guys. All right, good night.